Well, hello yet again to another episode of the Inspired Minds podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. God, I should have been a game show host. I definitely have the shtick and the voice, but instead I have chosen alternate paths in life. I am a former entertainment executive, record company stuff, lots of wild stories from that time, let me tell you. Decided to get into the world of therapy. I'm a burgeoning young-ish therapist in that world. Love it. I'm a big fan of art, music, film, and inspiration. And inspiration is the key to this Inspired Minds podcast. That's how it works. I've had a blast. I always say this every time. Keep having more and more blasts. Um, this podcast is getting interesting. It started off with some uh, Hollywood types, and we will still be doing some of them soon. I've done some musicians, a musician at least. Big fan, Freddie Johnston. What a great guy. What a great musician. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been expanding a bit more. Um, I just did one recently with Asher Gottesman. That should be up soon. Uh, Rabbi, a life coach, a spiritual genius, uh, and it's expanding. It's interesting. We're talking more about creativity and art and life and meaning and depth. And that leads me to the next one that I have coming up here in a hot second. And that is with a fabulous, fabulous woman named Janine Letford. And she is, wow. She has a book called The Seven Gems of Intercultural Creativity. And it's, it was a fascinating conversation that you're going to be hearing in a hot second. Um, she has her master's in education. Uh, she's a keynote speaker, best-selling author of uh, this book that I just mentioned a second ago, her own podcast called Create and Grow. Um, just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant woman. And she has this concept. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's, it's called Cafe. Well, Cafe Strategies is her website. Highly recommend going there. It's uh, with a C-A-F-F-E strategies.com. She has this uh, thing called intercultural creativity that we'll talk about in a second. There's a lot of organizational therapy for uh, offices and such, but incredible woman. I'm rambling on far too much. This is it. Uh, hope you like it. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inspired Minds. I'd like to introduce the already wonderful, because we've already had a great conversation before this, Janine Janine, it is an absolute pleasure to meet you, Janine Letford. Say hello. I'm so excited to be here with you, Jeff. So um, Janine is a brilliant writer, TED Talker. Is that a term, TED Talker? It is now. Okay, I just made it up. I, I like it. Um, and has this wonderful view of uh, creativity. She has uh, some books out. Uh, and specifically about this cafe strategies, which we'll go into in a bit here. Um, but Janine, as you know, this conversation is, and this podcast is about inspiration and inspired minds and what the creativity looks like. So I'd like to start this off with a question, general question, but it could be interesting and kind of fun. What was the first thing that you can remember that was an inspiration for you, be it a film, a person, a TV show, a song, and why did that connect with you, and how did that carry you through life? One of the earliest memories, I would say, my interaction with Mary Poppins, 
the movie uh, Mary Poppins, the original one, the original yes. Disney with um, Julie Andrews, and it just opened my mind map to the endless possibilities that are out there. You know, this even her bag that was this never ending of stuff coming out. <laughs> I feel like like that's me. I'm this this never ending entity of things coming out, and I actually even jumped off of my roof with an umbrella. Thinking. <laughs> I was Mary Poppins, and I sing the song. Uh, when, when I had my my son um, Sean, the creative kid, um, I was that that would be his constant lullaby, spoonful of sugar, right? It's just everything thing that I teach today. It was inherent in the words, and I even did, did a little bit of study on uh, Walt D- Disney and some of his work, and some of the the musicians that he worked with to compose some of those songs. And on the CD that I have at the the last track. It's then the composers just talking about what they were doing when they were composing. And they said Feed the Birds was one of Walt Disney's favorite songs because it just reminds us to have a compassionate heart to everyone and just to look at everyone as the creative potential beings that they are. Absolutely wonderful. And, you know, it's funny. You just mentioned that. I'm a giant Mary Poppins fan. With the sole exception, (laughs) only off topic, of Dick Van Dyke's really bad accent. That that, that, that did not fly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> other than that um well when you're yeah. when you're eight years old you don't really know the difference you don't care so. <laughs> yeah, you don't care at all you have no idea what's england mm-hmm. um so <laughs> yes yes but that feed the birds thing it's so funny that you just said that because the second you said the song feed the birds i realized what a song about presence that is mm-hmm. right yeah just sitting there and feeding the birds tuppence yes. you know tuppence a bag and being aware of all the life and how life can come to you and all from the birds to, to the woman, to the important, you know, business bankers walking past you to the priests who are looking down at, from the window, just all these elements of, of life. Even the sunset is just a beautiful song. Oh my goodness. And the melody to it as well. Now I got to go. Mm-hmm. I'm a musical theater. I, nerd, so I, don't, I <laughs> really shouldn't publicly out myself about that because I'm a dork. <laughs> well, I would love, love to talk about that later on too, because there are some oh, connections in the topic that we're going to be talking about and what that does. So, okay. That brings me to the first, I guess really the, the first real kickoff question, I suppose, or point rather and you posted this on your site, and it's just such a heartbreaking thing. It's so heartbreaking when I read this, and that is that over 59% of people feel that they are not creative. Isn't it how, astonishing? How heartbreaking is that? Yes. My training is in elementary ed. So I came oh. into the, I did a little bit of corporate work um, right out of college, and then I got my teaching credential, went into elementary ed, and, at, and saw that my, my students were graduating and saw that they were missing some few key elements like life skills and financial skills and entrepreneurship, creative thinking skills. So I started a nonprofit called mm-hmm. Alumni 360 for the graduates of my elementary school. So that's from 6th to 12th. So I was doing that. And then I was asked to do a few classes for teachers getting their master's at the university level. level. So I was teaching at the local college, uh, CSUN, California State University, North yeah. Northridge. Yep. And then um, I was asked to join the Board of Donors Choose, which is a national nonprofit helping teachers get supplies into the classroom. But this was a very powerful board. Like the, at the time, the CEO of LinkedIn was on there, the senior vice president of Facebook, the former CEO oh. of Essence and Ebony Magazine. So these were some pretty heavy hitters. But, sure. Jeff, this was all in like one week. This wasn't over like a 15-year career. This was in one week. I, my youngest person I worked with was a four-year-old. 
all the way to a 64-year-old, all different demographics and different social economic levels. So I got to see the pipeline in one week, and, and that's really what forced me into the work that I'm doing today, asking the question, well, what are those key elements that really help someone not only survive in this type of environment, this VUCA, right, mm-hmm. volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambig- ambiguous, but thrive. And um, and that leads leads me to to the work that you saw of how many people don't even think they're creative. A lot of people have the term misdefined, right? <laughs> yeah. And right. um and yeah, there's a lot of work to be done in this area. Yeah, and as I mentioned too earlier, um, as, as a new therapist, I try to I really try to weave creativity into my into my work with my clients. And again, so many of them think that they are not creative because as I think you were inferring mm-hmm. a second ago, they believe that creativity means painting or writing a script or these types of things. And I try to kind of redefine creativity with them. Is that something that you, how do you work with that? That is, that is, that is very key because as you know, dealing with the mind, um, we operate from where we, who we see ourselves as, the story, right? You're all into storytelling, which is very, very important. Um, we operate from the story that we tell our, ourselves, which primarily came from the story that was told to us during our formative years, zero through 12 or so. Yeah. And a lot of people may not think they're creative, number one, because they think it's only the arts, like you just mentioned. And so we are proposing a new definition. My company, we're saying that creativity, creative thinking is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance, value, and novelty. So that can include the arts. There's hmm. a lot of people um, expressing themselves and trying to solve the problem of how do I express this in a certain way or musically or visually. But there's a lot of people solving pro- problems in sciences, um, hmm. in, in, in relations, people relations, and education. So those are creative acts. Any type of, of relevance and novelty and value, you're bringing value that wasn't, that didn't exist, and now it does exist. That is a creative act. And we are all creative and all fields are creative. Exactly correct. As a matter of fact, as I, uh, again, mentioned earlier, I was in the C-suite level uh, for a while there in the, in the corporate world. And I always try to encourage my, um, my team to look at uh, situations as puzzles and to be creative with the mm-hmm. puzzles. It's puzzle solving. And you're exactly right. It's problem solving. Yes, um, yes. And even puzzle, puzzle solving and even quilt making, you know, like when you think of a quilt, um, a puzzle has an end um, result sometimes or a picture how it's supposed to look. But a quilt, sure. it could look any type of way. So I like to, to mix the uh, two. Uh, sometimes I'm doing puzzles and sometimes I'm just doing patchwork and quilting things together to design a whole new creation. I love that. I'm going to steal a lot of this stuff and not give you any credit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, we we um they they say teachers are the best thieves, and in the work you do, you are a teacher as well. So hey, take take it away. <laughs> All art is theft. That's another way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. This um, <laughs> is totally true. I have ripped off so many people. I ripped off you two on a song I wrote one time, and nobody noticed. That was which was the point. <laughs> but regardless, um, so. I really want to speak to you about this intercultural creativity thing that you've come up with. And you have these seven gems that, that kind of surround it. Um, but the one I kind of want to hone in on first, because it's just I have to jump into this so well, is this thing about cultural uh, curiosity. And the word curiosity specifically is something that drives me as a human and also as a burgeoning therapist. It's just that idea of being an eternal student 
and to constantly just be curious about what your client or what your environment looks like and to have the humility to actually ask those questions. Can you kind of speak on that a little more as it relates to the cultural aspect? Yeah, yeah. So um, my my work, The Seven Gems, it looks at how creative thinking and and cultural competence sit on the same set of cognitive skills. And they play off one another and they affect one another. So we can be curious in our creative pursuits and we can also be curious in our cultural competence and cultural relational pursuits, right? Um, and so what does that look like? But curiosity is very, very intense. And you're going to start seeing within this next decade, you know, how you have sales training and even communication mm-hmm. training, a lot of, uh, even now, a lot of unconscious bias training. I bet you, you're going to be seeing a lot of curiosity training, imagination training. Like, what? Ah. what is this? Because we're starting to see how important, you know, some of us already knew this, but the corporate world is starting to see how important these skills are and to redevelop them. But curiosity is really important. You know, it's that wanting to know, it's that feeling the gap of information, and it's mm-hmm. wanting to know because it has rel- relevance to you. You know, I'm not really curious about you know, um, something just random across, you know, just another, a, a topic that doesn't excite me that I want to know. Um, so you de- definitely see the relevance there. Um, everyone mm-hmm. was born with this already intact. I don't have to teach a one-year-old to be curious. They just come mm-hmm. here just, you know, looking and touching and putting things in their mouth because they want to know, well, what does this do? Cause and effect, pattern making. And um, my job is to help adults get back to where they were when they were two. Um, and and how do you do that? Because of systems, right? Because of adults telling, when you were a child, telling you no, 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 no. Because of something called the curse of knowledge, meaning I know what's, so with my son, my three-year-old son, I know what's going to happen when he does a certain thing. So I automatically stop him from, from, from doing it or from making a mess, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. This is a new environment to him. And so what my husband and I have learned how to do was just, of course, you know, we have boundaries and we have safety boundaries and stuff. Like, don't just go running off into the street and stuff like that because sure. we know what's going, what's going to happen, you know, <laughs> and we don't want you to test that, that out. But it's like I said, I shared the story of uh, cutting a rubber mat. He was cutting his, his mat um, or, or about to cut his mat. And I know what's going to happen. I know the sensation of cutting rubber. He does not. And so instead of me saying, you know, don't do that, don't do that, how can I put him in a situation where he can cut rubber, like little pieces of rubber, and, and still be curious about what that feels like, what the tension is? And so how do we now transfer that into an adulthood? How do we put people in situations where they can be curious, they can test things out. If they fail, they're not reprimanded or written up or fired. Um, and there's a term called a marginalized consequence where they can do things and the consequences are marginalized. So they don't have the fear of, of those things I just men- mentioned. That's how you build the curiosity of your people and you put them in challenging yet um, doable uh, tasks and projects, you know, and mm-hmm. we're going to really, really be seeing that this trait is, will, will be one of the most important traits. And I, it's not just me saying it. I brought onto my, my podcast, the create and grow podcast yeah, yeah, um, yeah. episode, episode 74. I, I found a doctorate of curiosity. She got her work, her doctorate in workplace curiosity. And her name is Dr. Al, Allison Hoysmeyer. She talked about the CEO's, who have high curiosity levels are the ones who are going to have the organizations that are going to be able to thrive in this type of VUCA environment. 
fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I really, you know, I, I, I want to go through the other, some of the other gems here as well, but what I really wanted to tell you was in seeing these gems, it, it's incredible because it was interesting to see that you've been able to take these, these pretty universal concepts, but then kind of fold them into the corporate world because that's not necessarily that I certainly didn't see that at my level, you know, 10 years ago, I guess mm-hmm. that was never a thing what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think like, it's like I mentioned before, I think it's because I had both one foot in corporate and one foot in K-12. And now I'm mm. seeing how a, an infant grows because starting my job in, in elementary ed, the kids came to be at five. I'm, I'm not sure if you've been around kids or if you have any of your own, but, um, but most of the brain, and we're going to talk about the neuroscience behind this, most yeah. of the, the brain growth happens from negative zero, right, from within the womb to about four to five. The brain starts tapering off neurons not used quickly by yep. between four and five years old. It's fascinating. So I've had a firsthand look of the entire pipeline. Besides the el- elderly, I haven't worked in, in any um, like convalescent homes or anything like that. But mm-hmm. Just to see how people, human development is child development. Human development is we're developing every phase of our lives. So what does that look like creatively um, and with um, our our neuroscience and our identity? Right. And because of that, I I assume you're referring to neural pruning in that process, correct? Yes. Yes. What what the brain does, what the brain is trying to clean up the neurons that it doesn't need or that you haven't really used. (laughs) Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. Yeah. 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 Actually, let me bounce this off you because, again, I have, as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of putting my toes in the water with neuroscience, but there was an illustration Mm -hmm. that I really liked that um, perhaps you can kind of clarify or not. And that is very simply, it, it was just an illustration of neural pruning, which was you have a commute into work and you do it all the time and you're on autopilot. And you just you just do it. You don't know what's going on. But let's say you take an alternate route into work, and then it's oh, new tree, new house, new fill in the blank. So your neurons are starting to fire, new ones. The more you take alternate route, then the neural pruning basically happens on the old alternate route, so it kind of fades away. Is that an essentially well, easy way to say? It? Yeah. Number one, um, as far as creative thinking goes, the number the highly creative pe- people are highly openness uh, open to new experiences so mm-hmm. that is is key so even doing something as taking a new route to work your brain has to pay attention more right um right. your brain ha- has to mind map you know your your mind mapping a new space mm-hmm. that's key um and so there's also this concept called my- myelination have, have have you heard of, of that i have just got into that yes Okay, yeah. So, so very basically, or, or basic, once you start doing something over and over again, it's basically how you learn how to ride a bike or how you learn how to drive. When you first get behind the wheel, you're like, okay, wait, where's the, the, the gear? Where's the <laughs> brake, right? Or, you know, because everything is your focus. It's, it's very taxing on the brain because it's a new experience. And, but once you do it over and over and over again, you know, like I can drive to the store and not, not even really think about anything about driving because it's myelinated, which means there's this type of substance, almost like a fatty substance that yeah. coats my, my nerves that are kind of in charge of this particular process or whatever. So I don't have to really think too much about it. Those nerves are already myelinated, which makes the energy and the pulses just pass through faster. So that's why you can ride a bike, you know, um, very easy. Whereas when you were four, it was very diff- difficult because those nerves weren't my- myelinated yet. 
Um, Interesting. And so that, yeah, so that can go for you or against you when you're talking about creative think- thinking. Because you want things to be myelinated like driving, right? You don't want to have to have that 16-year-old experience and you're like 32. <laughs> you know, you want you want that. But sometimes um, there's something that you would love, love to dive into for you. I would highly recommend Lisa Fieldman Barrett, Dr. Lisa Fieldman Barrett. She is a neuroscientist. Um, I don't know what university she studies out, out of, but she wrote a book called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. And they're just like seven little essays. But she talks about allostasis, right? And that your brain has a budget because you know your brain is in charge of keeping you alive, right? It has to keep you alive. That's his, that that's his main goal. And allostasis is its ability to figure out where it needs to send energy and, and resources. And you know your heart needs to keep beating, your your lungs need to keep moving, your kidneys need to keep working. And so allostasis is okay. Well, well, who needs what and when? And and if, if for some reason you're attacked by a bear, like suddenly, you know, the energy needs to go into your muscles to run, run away, your pupils dilate. And so the brain is in charge of sending um, these instructions out. And what I what I found out from her, which is fascinating, is that creative thinking, Jeff, takes more, let's say, resources from your body but budget huh. and cultural connections with people who have different lived experiences than you takes more resources. And so if your body body budget is already taxed, meaning you're tired, you haven't been eating right, um, you haven't slept well, or you're worrying about something or, or cortisol is up for a long, long, long period of time, if something's going on in, in your body or, you know, in your world that is putting your body budget at a lower level, you're not going to want to embark in creative thinking. You're not going to want to embark in meeting that person who has a different lived experience because it takes more energy to do so. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I'm actually kind of thinking ahead here a bit because there's the uh, the old saw, I suppose, for better lack of a better word, that when you're older, it's harder for you to learn things. And perhaps that's because the body is just getting older and therefore it doesn't have the resources to to really get that creative yeah, yeah, but um, it is, it is, and there's a great graph that I know because your brain is so. Then the the term is um, plasticity, right? Um, being right. plastic, your yep. brain is very plastic from zero to four for sure, but definitely yep. around zero to twelve. And then when you get into your adulthood years, um, it we thought it stopped being plastic, but your brain is still plastic until the last day that you pass on. Right. But it's less plastic as you're an adult, and you have to be more intentional about learning new things so because it's so easy right jeff for us to get into routine and do the same exact thing every single day right yeah. whereas yeah. a two-year-old they're learning something new every day because the world yeah. is new to to, to 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 them um and doc, dr fieldman says you know if people talk about nurture versus nature it's not nurture versus nature it's nurture and nature meaning yeah. our brains and even in adulthood this is fascinating jeff our brains um, wire itself to the environment that we're in. You know, what, what genes got passed down to you via your parents and your ancestors, but also what environment are you in? And so if you're in a creative environment that's colorful and your your caretakers um, are, are making sure you have new experiences and even in your adulthood, your 30s and 40s, if you're going on trips or being around people who are just bringing new ideas, your brain is wiring itself to that environment. That's why it's so important to curate your creativity 
by being intentional about who you place in your life, what you do with your time, and how you're growing. If Are you in, a, in an organization that is allowing you to grow, or are you doing the same thing that you did 10 years ago and nothing has changed? But I, I, I say this to people. Thank you so much for that incredibly wonderful and easy to understand uh, explanation. Mine has always been with, with neuroplasticity. Uh, sometimes I'll say, it turns out you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> yes, but, but but we're not dogs. <laughs> but, we're not dogs. We're really clear about this. We're really clear about this. And, <laughs> and you can teach some new tricks, but you can teach some other inspirational um, Correct. elements that just affect people's identity. Yeah. You know, it, it's like once they understand that, hey, I, I can do this or I can walk out on the stage and give a speech for 30 minutes and inspire people to live better lives. It's like once that becomes a realistic element in your brain, now your brain, the more you do it, the more you myelinate. And that's a good, you know, myelination of I can continue to, to, to do this. But I think people just need to understand that. It can be done, and that's really what the you know the work that you're doing is helping people change their narrative and change mm-hmm. how they see themselves. Which a mm-hmm. lot of is- issues come from childhood. A lot of oh. ills and, and behavior things that people are dealing with their adulthood, most of them can be traced to uh, the formative years. Absolutely, I've I've learned that very early on, and even in my own experience. And it's funny you bring that up as well because um, I am uh, I, I'm knee deep in um, uh, family therapy systems and, and, and mm-hmm. in that world. And it was interesting too, because as I was looking at some of the materials that you have for the cafe strategies, I, you know, there was photos of people around tables, just like it was for me in my old job, you know, doing projects. And I thought that's a family in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And right? if you look at the work of um, uh, Dr. Chris Nicholas out of Yale, he talks, he's a network scientist. So he mm-hmm. talked about the power of the network, and I just um, gave a toast of my, at my sister's wedding on Saturday in San Francisco, and I said, when we think of network, we think of professional networks, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, like, who you know at your job? But rarely do we really think of our family network. Like, what are the resources and the I- ideals and the belief systems that are going through our family network? Yeah. Have we really contemplated that and who are building the stories that we're now living out? Yeah, that's exactly right. I talk to my clients sometimes, or even to, even to myself, um, because you know I've, I've understood the uh, the concept of generational transmissions of uh, mm-hmm. fear and faith and whatever that is. But I try to explain it in a way that it's. Uh, I say, you know, when someone dies in a family, you get the heirloom, you get the car, the monetary value, the car, the cash, the boats, the yacht, whatever that is. But far more important are those emotional heirlooms that we are handed down, and those are the ones that can really define us until we can break free from them if they're maladaptive. Yes, yes. And I'm going to add to your list the creative heirlooms. What does that look like? Ooh, give me a second. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to really quickly expound. So I'm, uh, I'm of African American descent, and, and um, oh, yes. And I did a whole this blog about this where when my father passed away in, in the end of 2019, and I did a, a live video with uh, Carrie Carrie Swab, um, mm-hmm. who's the daughter of uh, Char- Charles Swab, and okay. I, I was uh, just talking about you know the lack of financial literacy in schools and this is an injustice to to our our generational you know coming up work- workforce. 
And because I was like, you know, pe- people, when people's parents or grandparents pass, there's some people who get inheritance. And then there's some people who get debt. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> right. you, know, you know, and I didn't realize it until I had a friend. Her dad passed away. She got like $30,000. I was like, well, how did that happen? Yeah, but it's yeah. a generational thing, right? Um, sure. But but it made me really reflect, right? Um, uh, John Locke said uh, two keys of a highly creative individual is a sensation and reflection. So people who know how to make sense of their sensations, their body sensations, their emotional sensations, but also people who know how to reflect upon these sensations and upon their experiences. That adds to your creative thinking. So I was reflecting upon this, and my father wrote a, a, a wonderful book um, that's on Am- Amazon, and he painted these rocks with sayings on them, and he had all these jur- journals with a very profound man, very creative man, and I was just like, and maybe perspective shift, which was one of the gems, right? I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, my dad didn't leave me thirty thousand dollars, you know. Um, yeah. You know, he was on Social Security, so he had about a thousand dollars, was just enough to pay for his funeral and stuff, and give his grandchildren like fifty bucks each, like a small yeah. inheritance. But yeah. but I was like, well, but I said, wow, he left these creative artifacts uh-huh. for us to pass down, like like not just material things. He left his creativity, so it made me shift perspective to see to see the 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 value and the wealth within his creativity that I get to pass down to his grandchildren and or to his great great grandchildren and so on. And so, um, so yeah. So with that, since we're talking about creativity and generational aspects, I want to challenge people: Are you being a good ancestor? Oh, that is brilliant. I'm stealing that one too. I'm taking all of this stuff. <laughs> take it away. Because if you if you take it, you are a um a disseminator of this information as well. Slash thief. You're you're being kind. Um <laughs> but what a wonderful phrase. Tell me more about that. I do want to hear one one last line about that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um I don't think we think generationally well. Uh, you know, there's some faiths who are really good at that. Like there's the the, the Jewish faith. Like they're really big on on generational awareness um, of of passing down stories. And you know, the brain is literally wired for story. That's why uh-huh. your best speakers, your best your best, you know, and story and metaphor. And I, I'm creating a training on on metaphor. And I think metaphor brilliance in the metaphor was relegated to uh, you know teachers and preachers and and prophets and Po- poets, pe- pe- people who produce in that realm. Sure. And I'm, I think in this next decade, everyone needs to get this skill up because it's a pivotal, creative way to expound the way you think and it, therefore the way you innovate. And so, um, and so I, I was thinking about how people are not aware of those who came before them. And everything, if you look at the work of Malcolm Gladwell, he, he, I don't know mm-hmm. which book it is because I've read them all, um, but how he talks about a, the pivotal position of how like Bill Gates was at the right place at the right time to check out, be curious about computers. If he was born in Florida somewhere, you know, it wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been the Bill Gates he is <laughs> today, you know, yeah. or if he was born, or if he was born 20 years earlier or later, he, you know, there's, there's this like lineup. And I even think about it, it's, with me too, the term intercultural creativity, if I would have launched this, you know, five years ago, it wouldn't have hit. If I would, if I would have waited to launch it five years from now, 
But the fact that I'm launching it at, at I left my job. I left my full-time job with health benefits, by the way, in oh. 2019. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, I have uh, no job. I have, uh, you know, my, my uh, husband's uh, an entrepreneur. So, so his income was crazy. And I was just like, okay. And, and I'm a, a woman of faith, so I just prayed. Um, but the fact that it's hitting hard now, like people are waking up because people are running out of options. They're like, what are we going to do? How do we get the best out of our people? And how do we get the best innovative ideas while we're in the middle of a pandemic? We have to resort to our innate qualities of creativity, curiosity, um, you know, being adaptable. This, the things that we were born with that were shut down because of systems and just and people didn't think it was really important, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, years ago for the masses. No. A few held on to it, but for the masses, we didn't think it, it was important. Yeah. No, and I'm so glad that you touch on storytelling because that is absolutely 1,000% my thing. I love telling stories. I think they're incredibly important. I think it's a lost art, as I think you would understand and agree with. I also believe, too, the stories are not just stories per se. Um, recipes, I realized a while ago, were stories, right? Because especially with, um, like, uh, like the Latino culture, uh, there's a woman that I work with, actually. And she has an amazing – she has 100 recipes in her head. Which was taught them by her family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those are stories. That's just all it is. They're just storytelling, generational storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, like I said, the brain is literally wired for stories. And so, if you look at your best te- uh, teachers, you know, they are great storytellers. If you look at your best um, speakers and your political activists and your, yeah. you know, uh, just the people, they know how to use story and metaphor. And so, I tell people like no matter what field you're in if you are trying to communicate an idea this is definitely an area that you want to pump up and people remember stories because it brings up um something in their own life and so i i was doing a keynote speaking event in new orleans in january and i was up there talking and something in, in my spirit just said tell the avocado story and that was the fact that i didn't grow up eating avocados um because my mother didn't like avocado. So I use that story to talk about how sometimes we're kept away from things just because the culture that we're grown in d- doesn't allow certain things in. Um, but pe- so many people came up to me, it was like, I love your avocado story, but then they had their own story that it triggered, right? Mm. And so, you know, one girl was like, I didn't know tuna was an actual like fish. I thought it just came in a can. It just shows up that way, you know? <laughs> And so everyone had their own interpretation of their version of the avocado story. And that's what the power of story can do. Another thing story can do is, is it, you know, you can teach a lesson through it without directly teaching the lesson. Okay, and that's like great if you want. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that's why uh, that's why Jesus um, used stories yeah. and um, other figureheads of religion. They're, they're yeah. just very inept with stories. But even with what's going on politically or, um, you know, with, with race re- relations and stuff and unconscious bias, I, I do, you know, intercultural creativity is a part of the DEI work, the diversity, equity, inclusion work. But I, I make a lot of these hard points that a lot of people don't want to deal with. These are some difficult conversations, but I ease them into it through story and emotional safety and even through, through laughter. I, I get them laughing and then I say, oh, by the way, because here's what's really happening, and here's why this hurts this person, and here's how we're hurting our nation when certain people aren't able to rise up and share their creative gifts. Just, so now they're more open to getting these hard lessons because I use story, and a lot of times I use funny stories to make these hard points. 
I do the same thing. And speaking of which, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but got a couple more questions or points, I guess. I am creative. What a great looking book this is for kids. Let's talk <laughs> it's about trick. that. It's not, it's not just for kids. It's for kids and parents and adults. It's, it. Yeah, it's a trick book. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a bit more about that. It, sounds, it, it looks sweet. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, like I said, I realized that I'm teaching creativity and I'm teaching cultural competence. And I have a case study in my house in front of me. And he is one of my teachers on, okay, well, what does it really mean to be creative? And so he's turning, you know, have you ever bought a child a toy and they play with the box for two hours and they play yeah. with the toy for like a minute? I'm I'm calling that functional agility. The term that the, the psych world uses is functional fixedness, which is the opposite end. Adults yeah. have functional fixedness, meaning when we pick up a pen, we only see it as a pen. We only use it as a pen. But if you give a pen to a child... It is now like a bow and arrow. It is yeah. it is 15 different things. So they're functionally agile with objects where we have functional fixedness. And the research is clear. Business teams that have more functionally agile people on their team have more innovative ideas coming out. Um, and so basically I have someone showing me that in real time. And so what I had to do was put it in a book and show people what creative living looks like through the eyes of a three-year-old child. Absolutely brilliant. I would vote for you for president in a second. Oh, um, stop. But I will, I, and I'm going to send you, um, just for sharing this 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 uh, work, I'm definitely going to send you both of my books, and I'll make sure Sean signs the book for you. <laughs> oh, that's not, before, I, before, I, before we leave too quickly, there's actually three that you have. Not that I need the third one, but who knows? One is From Debt to Destiny, and then mm -hmm. the other is I Am Creative. And then the big one, the big kahuna, I would imagine, is the Seven Gems of Intercultural Creativity, which we have discussed at a very scratch level, very surface level. Yes. I would encourage anyone to go to cafestrategies.com and um, go listen to more. But I guess I have one final question because I want to keep this tight and good. Please tell me yeah. what. Please tell me what level of the roof did you jump off from? Hopefully, it was just the first. <laughs> hopefully, just the first. Yes, yeah, it's it's a single story uh, building, but we learn through experiential um, experiences, and so I I close my eyes and see it today, and I know not to do that again. But nope. I'm glad I'm glad I jumped because it you know a person who can take risk, calculate late 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 at risk, and then learn learn sure. from it. There's the people who you want on your team. I have to ask how how old were you when you did that? Oh, probably I don't know, second, third grade, eight, eight, oh, nine years old. <laughs> and you had the umbrella, the whole thing, right? Oh yes, of course. <laughs> and what happened when you fell? That's what I want to know. When you fell, you're like, what? Just, thank goodness I just rolled, but I think the umbrella kind of folded up upwards. <laughs> but did you? Re but did you then realize that you weren't Mary Poppins? Like, how did that go? Yeah, and then I just realized I just should be her through singing, through singing the music. See the birds, see the birds, the right? Bird. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow. All right, I'm gonna go listen to her name is Rob. Um, but mm -hmm. it has been a fantastic conversation with you. My goodness, uh, I'll send you the information, I'll send you the link when we're done. And I truly wish you the best. And I cannot thank you. I will steal absolutely every single thing from this conversation. I thank you for sharing the word because you are a part of the crusade of making sure everyone believes and operates in their creative thinking capacity. So thank you so much. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.